Hello, everyone, and welcome to another bonus sermon episode of The Double Speak. I'm Roy, and now we're going to continue. This will be part two of Chalen's sermon from Acts chapter 5, The Unstoppable Church. At the beginning of the service, there'll be a brief intro from Pastor Tom, who was a guest on our first episode of Done With Friends. I hope you will enjoy this sermon. Here we go. Last Sunday, as we were traveling and... uh, uh, we are able, thanks tech guys, for making these uh, videos and sermons available online. It's nice when you're out of town, you're in the car, or you're wherever you are, that you can tune in and join and be with the church. And so I really enjoyed uh, listening uh, last Sunday as the service was continuing. And as Jalen started and kept going, and I was following along with my Bible and looking at my watch and saying, he's going over. (laughs) He's not going to make it. (laughs) He's got a lot of material, and every bit of it was so good. And so when he said in the sermon, um, I'm not sure when the next time will be, but I'll bring part two, I said, I'm not waiting two months. I've got him scheduled, I think, for July sometime. And um, so anyway, uh, I promise you, Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to jump into Daniel chapter 7. If you want to have some weird dreams, just start reading Daniel chapter 7 without understanding. And you'll see. It's, uh, but I'm excited to be able to bring it to you. But I've even, I'm even more excited to, uh, to be here for part 2 of Chalen's uh, sermon that he started last week. Come on, Chalen, and bring us the word. Well, thank you this morning. I am really humbled to be able to get to do part two and back-to-back weeks. I I really am. And, you know, I think Jamie was amazed that I actually had ambitions that I would get through it. You know, I was going to start at verse 17 and go through the remainder of the chapter. And she said she's really amazed I got as far as I did, to be honest with you. So, but we're going to pick up because we really just got to where it begins to get good honestly i mean every bit of it's good and rich but we had really just got to the to the really good parts of it so i'm going to read a just a few verses here and then kind of give a a little brief overview where we read to kind of bring you up to speed in case you missed last week or wouldn't hear but it'll be very brief but i'm just going to read a um we kind of where we left off we left off where they had uh, In verse 27, when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, intending to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And we kind of got to that point where we were really getting ready to get into the richness of Peter's response and his answer. And we had backed up and looked at the first part of chapter 5. And if I were to bring you with a alliterated outline, if I were to bring it to you, uh, you know, kind of keeping in the theme, verses uh, 11, 1 through 11, would we see the cleansing of the church. Um, verses 12 through 16, the continued power of the apostles as they're healing. They're doing all these miracles. And verses 17 through 20, 
we see the capture of the apostles, if you will. In verses 21 through 28, it's the consternation of the council, the Sanhedrin, the 70 that are gathered. And I told you that the book of Acts is a, an explosion of an evangelistic nature. There's an explosion of evangelism and witnessing that is happening. We are not taken out immediately upon our salvation because we are left here to be the workers that Christ did not finish. There, we, as I said, we, there is a work that we hear often, and that is the finished work of Christ, the work, the atoning work that he did upon the cross. But there is a work of evangelism that we are left here to do. And as we work through these verses, and if you see these verses, and you see the capture of the apostles, uh, verse 17, as we begin to get in this, and the high priest, they rise up full of anger, full of indignation. The, along with the sect of the Sadducees, they bring all this up and they begin. And, and they lay hands on them. They bring them back without, uh, without problem, without conflict, because they do not want a riot to be brought upon him. They do not want to cause anything. And where we kind of left off, we left off in verse 26 where they had just the captains went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. We see the Apostle Paul, as we had talked about Paul some through Acts, how as he went and he was put in all these situations, that God used it for his glory. You know, he even says, as I told you in the book of Philippians, those in Caesar's house say hello. They greet you. He's witnessed all the way up to the point of Caesar, that he is witnessing to those in the house of Caesar. But then we get, they are brought before the council. We're still in the consternation of the council. We're still, if you're following along in the outline, that's still the point at which we would be at. And I, I don't want to be, belabor any longer in a backstory. I'd like to pick up in verse 27. When they brought them, they stood them before the council, the high priest questions them. I don't know if you guys still have it. Do you still have the picture available? I had a picture of what this would look like and what would they would be standing before the council. And they would be surrounded by these 70 members that would be brought in before the council. And these apostles would be standing there with these men surrounding them. They are in a court, if you will, they are right back to where they started. They've told them, do not preach, do not preach the gospel, do not teach the gospel, and now after coming out of jail, going right back to the temple and proclaiming the resurrection, something the Sanhedrin did not affirm, let out by an angel, something else the Sanhedrin or the, the Sadducees do not affirm. But they are right back to where they started, and Peter is about ready to deliver the second sermon before these people. His second sermon before them. But this time the crowd has greatly swelled. The crowd is larger than it had been. And they tell them, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Pay attention. Listen to the disdain. Continue teaching in this 
name. They will not even mention the name of Jesus. There is disdain in the hearts of these council members, of the Sanhedrin. There is disdain for the very name of Jesus Christ. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with the teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In Acts chapter 4, verses 17 through 20, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer in this name. Once again, the disdain. And when they summoned them, they commanded them to not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about that which we have seen and heard. They've already been told. They've already been instructed in Acts chapter 4 to stop preaching in this very name. Stop teaching this resurrection. Stop teaching the life that comes with Christ. They've already been told. They're, they're charging them now with disobedience to their orders. But the apostles, they're charging them, the Sanhedrin, the council with the very death of Christ. Bring this man's blood upon us. You intend to. They brought that man's blood, Jesus, upon themselves. They did it. They did it. Listen to it. You intend to put it in Acts 23. Hands of godless men nailed him, Jesus, to a cross. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. God made him both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. Acts 3.15, and you put to death, that is the Sanhedrin, you put to death the prince of life. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, let it be known to all of, you, of, all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands before you in good health. He was a stone which you rejected. Matthew 27. You see the trial before Pilate. Pilate is in a turmoil of what to do. He's in an utter state of confusion. He is having to deal with the people. He's having to deal with this man Jesus that's brought before him. He comes up with a solution in his head that surely the people won't because it is tradition that they can allow the release of one prisoner. So he puts before them a heinous criminal in Barabbas and he presents Jesus as the alternative thinking surely these people will pick Jesus. But they don't. They picked Barabbas. What does Pilate say? I'm innocent of this man's blood. But what does the crowd or the mob scream? Let this man's blood be upon us. They had 
indicted themselves. They want Jesus crucified. And Peter is accusing them of what they had wanted. They wanted him crucified. But it's interesting what they never ask, what the Sanhedrin never ask, the question that's never concerning them. How'd you get out of prison? How in the world with that gate locked as secure as it was did you get out? They didn't want to know. They had seen enough miracles. They had encountered enough miracles. They were just miracled out at this point. They can't handle another. But then the most fabulous response from Peter in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered. We must obey God rather than men. I don't know if there's a greater statement that could be said, especially for Christians. As persecution is inevitable, as persecution is certain, it is predictable, we must obey God. That must be our life stamp, if you will. That must be something that we live our life for is the obedience that comes to him. And now the sermon is starting. He is bold. Peter and the apostles. See, in Acts chapter 4, it was only Peter and John. Now it's Peter and the apostles. All the apostles are there now. All of them are before this Sanhedrin. And they are bold in this face of persecution. And they basically say, we cannot obey you guys. We obey God and we do not care what the ramifications are. We do not care what you're going to throw at us. We do not care if you put us to death. We do not care if you flog us. We do not care anything about it. Because we are determined to know Christ. And we are determined to preach Christ. We are determined to preach the resurrection. Because we're going to obey what he has commanded us to do. What do we do? If we're faced with just the slightest inclination of persecution, not all, but some tend to draw back. They tend to draw back away from that which is harmful. That which may cost them things. Peter and the apostles charged forward boldly in that face. And Peter summarizes basically what he has been teaching the whole time. This proclamation that he's been doing. The Sanhedrin, in no way would they anticipate this boldness from commoners. From uneducated people in their minds. People who do not have the learning that they do in the position that they do. But the Sanhedrin they do understand what they're being accused of. And Peter, if we were to look at the first book of Peter and that persecution, I know there are some that say Peter didn't write that. I'll let you study that for your own and draw your own conclusions upon that. Peter writing to these persecuted Christians, he tells them constantly, be bold. Count it. James kind of echoes it when he says, count it as joy when you're in trials. 
Count it as joy when you face trials for the Lord. It's kind of foreign to us. It's very foreign to us. And what is this commission that they are obeying? See, God is giving them the commands, has given them the commands through Jesus. You see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 2. He tells them to be witnesses, to be witnesses in 1.8 and 5.32. They cannot obey the leader's command, the command that is to be silent on this nature, and still obey that they have been ordered to proclaim. They cannot obey both. And then he goes on. He continues. If it's not enough to just go out of there, he continues. Peter, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death, by hanging him on a cross. You think Peter may back down a little. But all I've got is, wow. Peter, in this front of this council, bulks up and comes at them, whom you put to death. Peter. Come on. You, you just accused them of what they, what they said don't accuse them of. You intend to bring this man blood upon us. And now Peter charges at it. Fearless. Facing death. Peter's not looking to get out of the battle. He is going to battle with them. He is going to battle for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The resurrection. He is going to battle. And this should be us. Standing boldly. When it gets tough. When it gets battered. We get up and get back at it. We do not bow down. If we have one little endeavor that makes us uncomfortable. Get back at it. Proclaim whom you had put to death. I want to concentrate on that Greek word just for a moment. Some translations, I believe, use the word slew. Um, it is a very, very strong word because built in this is something that Peter is really indicting them with. It, it, it literally means that when he says that you put to death, it literally means that you killed with your own hands. You slew him with your own hands. This word is never, he is never, Peter's never used this. He doesn't back down. He literally becomes aggressive and indicts them. You, by the hands of the Gentiles, killed him. Killed him, Jesus Christ. You killed the prince of life. You killed him. But not only did you kill him, you did it with your own hands. I cannot emphasize that enough. Remember what they said, Matthew, as I told you. Let this man's blood be upon us. What does it mean they hung him on a tree, a cross? Deuteronomy tells us that a curse by God is anyone who hangs upon a tree. Moving on, verse 31. He is the one whom God exalted 
to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now Peter at this point of the sermon exalts Christ. He lifts Christ up. He preaches where Christ is. He is at the right hand. He is at the the symbolization of power, if you will. God, by power, ripped Christ out of the grave and then exalted him to his right hand. He made him. He made him prince. He made him savior. And you, the Sanhedrin, literally thought that he was nothing. But God made him prince and savior. You tried to literally trample him under your foot. You tried to stamp him out. You can't. God exalted him. Prince. Interesting. He is the author, the originator. He is the very author of our salvation. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. This is not just what we know. This is not just what we've come up, but this is literally the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is telling us these things. John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I said to you. Matthew chapter 10 verse 19. But when, but when they hand you over, hand you over to those that are against you, those that don't like what you're doing, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. This is not our opinions, is what Peter is saying. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying. But when they heard this, that is, the 70, the council, the Sanhedrin, they were cut to the quick. They were cut to the quick, and they intended to kill them. The the apostles refused to be intimidated. They refused to step down. See, his first audience had a little bit of a different reaction. They were struck to the heart, which led to salvation, to repentance, if you will. See, the response to the gospel is not always good. The response to the truth that revealed in is not always one that we want to see. It says they were cut to the quick. Literally means they were sawing in half is what the Greek lexicon tells us that they, they were so enraged that these words cut them in half. This is an absolute mortal rage. And this is what happens sometimes when we encounter hardened hearts. When we encounter hearts that are hardened to the gospel, sometimes this is the reaction that it cuts them to the point that they are angry angry with you. 
Remember Stephen? A little later in Acts, I believe it's chapter 7. They were enraged at Stephen's teaching. It's to the point that they stoned Stephen. Remember in Luke, the Jesus is teaching and remember their response. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage when they heard these things. They were cut to the quick. And honestly, this isn't what we want to hear sometimes. But us as the servants of Christ should expect rejection. Should expect in a response that does not garner those Feelings that you want, that you're hoping for. Sometimes it's very negative, very harsh. I said last week, I said something. Sometimes when you preach the gospel to self-righteous people, the response is very hard. They don't like it. See, when you talk about true conviction, when you begin to preach these things as he did in Acts and it brought repentance, when you preach conviction, it is conviction that leads to change lives. But when we teach on conviction, it must be rendering them guilty of sin. We're all guilty of sins and we must under understand our place in creation. That we are fallen, sinful Wrathful or uh, uh, wretched men and women. But when we hear convicting teaching and preaching found in the gospel, it changes lives. A lot of times today there is preaching and teaching that is purely emotional, that invokes some sort of emotion, uh, emotional response. But it's not true conviction of the sin. It's not a mental reaction to understand where your place is in creation. Why are they so mad? Why are they so upset at these apostles? Because of their constant teaching against them. The constant teaching against what they do. Now, verses 34 through 39, we're going to take it a block. And if I were to look at this and were to keep with some type of a, uh, obliteration outline, we would go, I would probably call this the constant providence or the continual providential nature of God, something like this, because at this time we see an odd help stand up. A Pharisee stands up. A Pharisee named Gamaliel stands up calls him a teacher of the law, says he is respected by all people. But when you think of him, I want you to keep something in mind. He is a theological opportunist. Remember, the Sadducees and the Pharisees do not get along. They are not on the same page. The Sadducees have the ear of Rome. They want to appease Rome. The Pharisees have the people. They don't want to upset the people. They like their places. But really, for the first time in Acts, an unbeliever comes to the aid of these early Christians. And he really hinders 
any further aggressive action that may take place against them. The Sadducees, they're cut to the quick. They're ready to kill them instantaneously. They're ready to kill them. And really up until this point, the Sadducees had dominated this whole conversation. Josephus tells us that the Sadducees would not challenge the Pharisees. They didn't want to challenge them because of their popularity with the people. And if the Pharisees turn on the Sadducees, so goes the people. They didn't want that. They did not want to be at all. So this Pharisee standing up creates an utter dilemma now. There is a dilemma that has arisen. And this one that stands up is a very influential member of this council. He is a member of this council that has great influence. If we were to look at some of the historical nature of him, he is called Rabban Gamaliel, the elder. And really, according to some commentaries, this is the title that is really only given to one man. It is one that they're calling him the master teacher. Some commentaries refer to him as this nickname referring to the beauty of the law. We learn a little later in Acts, he is a very famous student. A very famous student. Saul, the Apostle Paul, is a student of this very man. He is the successor of a man named Hillel. He is the founder of one of the Pharisees' schools. But in verse 35, he tells them, be careful what you do. Be careful how you handle this situation. Because if you handle this situation wrong, you're going to have a full-blown revolution on your hands. Once again, he's a theological opportunist. And he mentions two things. He mentions two uprisings, two revolts, if you will. Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody in a group of about four, 400 men, joined with him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Do you remember this guy, Theodos? We don't. We know nothing about him. This is really, this is the only time he's mentioned. There are some different mentions in the historical writings, but none of them can be proved that this is him. But the next one, Judas of Galilee, we know. We know that he led the insurrection against the taxes that were Rome. He leads this rebellion. And it says he rose up in the days of the census, drew away some after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him, followed him were scattered. See, there's a lot of uprisings going on at this time, a lot of them. And this is all going on. So in the present case, this is Gamaliel speaking, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else it may even be found fighting. You may be found fighting against God. Great advice, right? Great. That's really good advice to give these guys. Just, just let it play out. Wrong. It's absolutely terrible advice. Do we judge success on the numbers? 
then if we judge success on the numbers, there are many false religions today that are far outseed some numbers. And we judge it on success that those numbers, they are wholly against God. They are cultic in nature to some points. But we do not look at the numbers to see if it's successful. If it just goes away, then it is not successful. These religions, some have been around for years, centuries. We do not judge success on that. We do not let it play out. Do you know how we find out if it's good? Do we know how we find out if it'll go away? We have Scripture. Why didn't somebody of his stature say, let's open the book. Let's begin to the Holy Scriptures. Let's go to the Old Testament to see if this man whom they're teaching, Jesus, is the one that is predicted and prophesied of all throughout the Old Testament. Let's see if it lines up. No, that's not what he says. He literally says, let's let it play out. If it be of God, you can't stop it. If it's not of God, it'll go away. Absolutely atrocious advice. Verse 40. What do they do? They took his advice. And after calling the apostles, they flogged them. Ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they released them. This very poor, ill-advised advice they take. They're filled with rage. They had just as soon to slaughter the apostles to stamp out this movement, to stamp it out. But they agree to this terrible advice, and they say, we'll only flock them. Thirty-nine strikes. Thirty-nine excruciating lashes. Deuteronomy tells us about it. It's really a very, very sad thing that these, that these apostles are doing. They would literally take these men, tie these men up between two poles with their arms stretched out. They would rip the very clothes off of their back. They would have a leather strap, and they would give them one-third of the lashes to their front, two-thirds of the lashes to their back, exposing the bone, the muscle, the nerves. Imagine the excruciating pain that would have endured for being obedient. We must obey God. And they did it to each apostle. Not one, not the head of the group. They did it to each apostle. What's the apostle's reaction? We'll call this the Continuous proclamation to keep up with our outline. And so, they, being the apostles, went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Would you rejoice after getting flogged 39 times? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame in his name. And every day, not only did they consider it joy, they're right back. Every day in the temple, from house to house, 
they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I remember, I think Mom got this a couple years ago for our little girls. You remember the little weeble wobbles? Remember those little things? You push them over, pop right back up, push them over, pop right back up. The apostles, they literally keep trying to shove these guys over and they pop right back up. We're going to shove out the movement and right back up they are. They flogged them before the council. And now they consider it joy to have considered suffer for his name. Did anything good come out of this beating, this lashing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to be worthy to suffer Christ. Suffer for Christ. Think about what he went through for us. The intense beating, the cross, and they consider what they went through very little compared to him. Galatians, Paul, writing to the church at Galatia. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. These blows that they give them were intended for Jesus. It is Jesus that they hated. It is Christ that they are persecuting. Colossians, now I rejoice in my sufferings, Paul, once again, for your sake and in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ. They didn't stop. They continued. That's the true providential work of God. Nothing else can describe it. Nothing else can explain it other than the providential work of God. God has his purpose in every time, every place, every location. And we have the same power as the apostles. When I say that, I don't mean the healing, I don't mean that, but because sometimes we say, well, they had the Holy Spirit that directed them what to say. We have the whole work of Scripture. We have the very teaching. We have the teaching of Jesus. They did not have a whole written book at that point. The book's still being played out. We're just now at Acts chapter 5. So the book is continually being played out. And in a sense, they really have no more power than us. See, God had ordered this explosion of evangelism during this time. There are times of darkness during history. We see darkness as it comes upon us. From 500 to 1500, there were a thousand years of literal darkness as we looked at it. And then we have the Reformation. The gospel is not done. It is not done, and it was not done in this time during Jerusalem, in Acts. And what happens? Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, it's multiplying, it's continuing, it's growing. Verse 7. 
the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples to continue, uh, continue to increase greatly in Jerusalem. A great many priests were coming obedient to the faith. They kept right on preaching. They have not been released of their duties. They kept right on preaching until God was satisfied. Acts chapter 7. Stephen stoned. Then a certain man in Acts chapter 8 begins a slaughter, an onslaught after the church. Saul of Tarsus. Until he has the Damascus Road experience. And Christ asked him, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul explodes and now becomes part of this evangelism. We are not to escape this. All but one apostle was martyred. John was the only one that wasn't martyred. We were to open up a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You would see numerous saints that were slaughtered before us. Tyndale, who we get our Bible from, or not, who translated, did a great work translating the Bible, was sold out by one of his friends. He was turned in. I believe the man's name was Henry Phillips, I believe was the name. Captured. He was literally choked by a chain and then burned at the stake. We are not escaping persecution in some varying degree. We may not all be slaughtered at the stake or burned at the stake, but persecution is inevitable. But in the face of persecution, we are still to be evangelists and we are still to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as I finish today, I ask you to take a moment. Where are you at in your life with it? What would you do if you were flogged 39 times? Would you still have the same response that the apostles had? Would you be able to go to the stake like some of the martyrs, some of the Marian martyrs who went to the stake singing hymns and praises? It's only a supernatural power that we're able to do those sort of things. So I ask you to take a moment, reflect upon it, and our, mus our musicians will begin shortly. Well, and that concludes part two of this sermon series. Certainly hope you have enjoyed it. I'm glad we were able to present it to you. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Thank you for listening, and until next time on our regular episodes, God bless. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Thank you.